There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Bubbling Adventure, a podcast all about kids and how educating them positively can impact their entire life as well as society. Each week, we're having conversations with guests on different themes, and our aim is to have open discussions, share different points of view, and learn in a non-judgmental way. Today, we're welcoming George Turner, who is at the head of Connie's Community, a charity located in Battersea, London. After working with the council, leading various projects to reduce reoffending and youth gang violence, George served some of the youngest and most disadvantaged kids in South London to get back into education and employment. His work is very inspiring. I would highly recommend you check the links in the description box where you can find Connie's community's website as well as one of George's TED Talk as I think it's very inspiring and very interesting. But without further ado, let's begin. Welcome, George. Thank you so much for joining today. I'm very excited to be speaking with you. Could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name is George Turner. I'm the chief exec for Carney's Community and the co-founder as well. Uh, and Carney's is a small charity based down in Battersea that delivers a combination of boxing, mentoring and other kind of youth work activities. Amazing. And so could you please tell us what were you doing before? What brought you here? What inspired you to be at the head of Carney's? Okay, so it's, it's quite a long story, so I'll try not to go on too much. But um, 
I got I started doing youth work. I was working with young offenders over in Lambeth. Actually, well, it's it's quite the right. Let me let me work out where to start from. When I was about twenty, I got diagnosed with a arthritis condition called ankylosing spondylitis. And at that time, I was doing the kind of work I was doing was things like scaffolding, building work, and I was told I couldn't do that anymore because of my condition. So wasn't sure what to do. Applied for loads of different jobs. Eventually, got a job. Um, got called up by Lambeth Council saying that they were running a youth program in Brixton and they needed youth workers would I be interested in trying it so I thought yeah give it a go did it really enjoyed it begged them to keep me on uh, so they kept me on for two hours a week and managed to get them to send me on some training and they sent me on a training course where I met a guy called Lee Parker who ran the intensive supervision and surveillance program for Lambeth and Wandsworth and is connected to the youth offending teams and basically when a young offender gets in trouble with the police or they get sentenced to something they could get sentenced to custody or to spend 25 hours a week for six months with a, what was called cook um, and I basically lied to Lee about my experience and my age. Uh, so I started doing it and it took him a while to work out that I hadn't been honest about my age and my experience. But I was by that time, I was already in there and doing the, doing the work. So they were happy to keep me involved. And that consisted of me yeah, spending 25 hours a week with specific young people, building a relationship with them and then helping them out with getting into education, employment, housing, family issues, other court cases and things like that. And saw lots of lots of good work being done there. But the frustrating thing was that it was a short term project. So it was only each person got referred to you for six months. And when you're looking at the types of young people we're working with who are coming from families where there's intergenerational offending, worklessness, things like that, there are lots of trauma abuse things like that it's going to take more than six months to make any difference so mm-hmm. what we people would start with us and we'd see them progress really well and then after six months drop back to where they were before and then get re-referred and so we weren't really fixing the problem so i stayed involved with them for a while then moved over to Wandsworth council worked for them in loads of different roles initially i was doing again intense supervision surveillance program then positive activities for young people then substance misuse work then uh, prevention of violent extremism, then family intervention projects, then family recovery wow. projects. So loads of different roles. And my, I had lots of frustrations working at the council because there were lots of barriers to engaging people. You could only work with people for a certain amount of time. You could only work with people from certain areas and certain postcodes who were certain ages. You always had to refer them on after a small after a period of time onto another worker. And that frustrated me a lot because I saw that actually if you wanted to make a difference with people, you had to put in some long term support. So I had support quite a few of them in my own time. So when I was told to close the case, I wouldn't I'd close the case for the council, but I'd carry on working with them and carry on supporting them. And as time progressed, I started there's a few realizations I came across. One was that actually the work I was doing in my own time, which was the more long-term support, was the one that was making the biggest difference. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd also moved into management and I realized that I was turning into what I didn't like. So I was asking my staff for stats and numbers and things like that, where that wasn't actually really the work that made the difference. What made the difference was the real kind of like discussions and and relationships that you had with the young people. Um, I'd also been involved with a boxing gym in Lambeth, where Mick Carney ran the boxing club. I brought some young offenders down there and he'd 
he liked what we were doing and supported me and allowed me to carry on doing that for free. And he'd all, he introduced me to another guy called Mark Rygate, who was the, he's now the head coach for Fitzroy Lodge as well, but he was, he was a young offender that Mick had basically helped turn his life around and was now having coaching. And so he'd always said to me and Mark, we should set up our own project, which we did on a very small scale. We did a free Friday evening boxing session that we ran initially at Fitzroy Lodge and then at Osfield Boxing Club to engage young offenders and keep them active. And we did it on a Friday evening because that's when antisocial behaviour and crime was peaking in the areas we were working in. And Mick passed away in 2011, which was the same time I moved into management. I'd also had... Um, a young person that I was quite close to got murdered around the same time and I kind of sat down with Mark and said look we, we should probably try and do something to carry on Mick's legacy because whilst we knew Mick was a great well whilst I knew Mick was a great guy I'd only known him for at that point about 10 no probably about 12 years um, and I didn't realise quite how well known he was and quite how much of a difference he'd made in so many people's lives. So when he passed away, um, the Sky Sports did a documentary on him. BBC Radio 5 Live did a documentary on him. And we heard loads of amazing stories. So we wanted to try and carry on that legacy. And so me and Mark got together and decided we'd kind of take a leap of faith and try and set up our own charity and set up, named it Carnes Community. Uh, Mick would have hated that because he didn't like lots of attention being put on him so right so how long did you stay in total at the council and did you quit your job at the council and then started to work with carnies we started to set up carnies whilst i was at the council okay. and then i left then i quit the council and moved over to carnies i do still do some work with the council though I do gangs team um, and I find that it's quite good because it ensures I'm still doing the face-to-face work and I'm not just running a charity. I'm actually having that face-to-face contact with the people that we should be working with. So we initially set up Carnies and based it at Fitzroy Lodge, which was difficult because Fitzroy Lodge is in use every day, all the time for boxing already. So we couldn't do much from out of there. So instead we'd go and use various other either we use Ellsfield Boxing Club, we'd use various community centres, youth centres to do boxing fitness sessions and we'd carry on mentoring and supporting disadvantaged young people in our own time as well. And we did that for a couple of years and we were then offered the building that we're at now in Battersea. We were contacted by the trustees who run that building and they asked us to take it over and we initially said no because we felt it was just me and Mark and taking on a big building like that was too much. So they gave us funding for six months to getting a building manager. So we said, all right, we'll give it a go. It was a bit of a state of building. So it took us about six months to get it ready for opening. And then we opened it in, I think it was January 2015. And mm-hmm. from there, we've just grown and grown and grown. So we're doing, we've got boxing, well, pre-lockdown, we had boxing sessions every day of the week. We were mentoring around about, well, we were key working around about 100 young people. We were providing sessions and mentors to support young people that struggled to get into, get involved in group activities for various reasons. We'd have mentors that would support them with that. Just just before lockdown, we'd have, like I said, we'd have all the boxing sessions. We'd have our social enterprise sessions, which is where we train up ex-offenders and people with disabilities and employ them to deliver sessions to members of the public. We have our youth club sessions where we engage around 50 to 60 young people on a Monday and a Wednesday night. 
We did the Fit and Fed program where we fed all the young people for free after the boxing sessions. So we'd give out about 50, 60 meals after each session. We've got the, we have the key work, we have the mentoring. We had a tutoring project going on for year 11 students. We've got yoga sessions going on there. We've got, what else have we got? Bike social enterprise, fix, helping young people fix up bikes and sell them and earn a bit of income for themselves. So loads of different activities, but my my real passion is the, the key work, which is the long-term, consistent, unconditional support with empathy. And we based that around what a good family would be like or a good parent would be like for their child. And so a good parent and a good family would provide long-term support. They'd provide consistent support. It would be unconditional, so they'd never turn them away no matter what they did. And they'd be empathy and they'd be trying to understand where that young person's coming from. So that's how we, that's how we deliver all of our work, which funders don't like because funders like to see an exit route. They like to see you work with someone and in their eyes, fix the problem and then exit them from your program. And we don't do that. Once you're involved with Carnies, you're always involved with Carnies. Okay. What we try and do though is we try and change your role within Carnies. So when a young when we start working with a young person, we'll say to them, right, you don't have to pay to do boxing, you don't have to pay for key work support, you don't have to pay for the youth club, you don't have to pay to get involved in the bikes, to get involved with food but it's not free. We want something in return. And that is that when you sort yourself out, you will come back and you will provide something for other members of the community. So it doesn't necessarily have to be with carnies, but you might set up your own business and provide apprenticeships to disadvantaged mm-hmm. young people. You might set up your own charity or your own business, but we, we want to try and keep them involved. So we were, we were challenged by a funder saying that, said to us that we, we you you should have an exit plan you're creating dependency and we saying, well hold on if we're basing the whole theory of what we're doing on families and communities if i look at myself when i got my first job my mum didn't say well done you've got a job now we're exiting my family it's right now your role's changing you have to pay rent you have to do certain other jobs and you have to be a bit of a provider and then i left i moved out of my home my mum's house got married but I still will go back to my mum and get support from her every now and again in the same way that they'll still come back as well because a lot of them don't have those consistent sort of role models and family support around them and so that's what we're trying to create and I mean we've got probably the the most sort of pertinent example is Good Guys Decorating uh, which is a social enterprise we've helped set up and that's that was set up by a young man that we'd worked with for about nine years and another young man that we'd worked with for 18 years. Um, okay. The one we worked with for 18 years, he, we worked with him from the age of 11. Actually, it's nearly 19 years now. Uh, we worked with him from the age, age of 11 up to the age of 30. And he's been through loads and loads of issues. And we've consistently provided that support, which has got him to the point where he's at now, which is that he's running a paint and decorating business, which offers free for each house they paint they paint the bedroom of a child living in poverty for free or someone suffering from mental health issues for free so that's a prime example of someone that we've worked with we've helped turn around their life and then we've helped them to set up a business where they're supporting other people so he's now gone from being someone who was in prison and costing society loads of money to someone who's paying taxes and also providing a free service to people in need Um, so we call it a virtuous cycle 
where we provide positivity to a young person for them to provide positivity to others with the whole aim that what, happen, what ends up happening is there's a lot more positivity going on throughout the whole community and it just gets spread and we get more people supported and more people that are feeling a part of something. Wow, that's amazing. And I was wondering, how do you identify these people, these kids who need help? Do they come to you? How, how does that work? It's a variety of different, different ways. So we do get referrals. So we get referrals from people like the youth offending team, the gangs team, social services, education, anyone really. But we also, because, because I'm from the borough and I've been working in the borough for 19 years now, I know quite a lot of them. And through the work I was doing, especially through the Intense Supervision Surveillance Programme, I got to know the most prolific offenders and the, the people that were, were most heavily involved in negative behaviour. And uh, they were essentially forced to build a relationship with me over six months. And through that, I built up a lot of trust and we've got very good connections within the community. So, for example, just had a guy who's phoned me up. He's at a prison in, oh, what's this prison? It's only prison. And he's just been given a DCAT so that he can go into an open prison and so he can come down and volunteer for us. We started working with him because he's a friend of one of the young people that we've worked with. We also get people contacting us from prison saying, oh, I'm, I know so-and-so. He told me I should contact you because I want to try and sort myself out when I come out of prison. So quite a lot of people will come to us themselves. And with, the, with regards to like the intense mentoring and key work that we do, what we often find is, because we, we use a theory called the cycle of change, which is we see when it's, it's used quite often for addiction and addictive behaviour, but we use it for offending behaviour. And it states that whenever you want to try and change someone's behaviour, they're always at some point on this cycle. The first point is pre-contemplation, which means they don't want to change their behaviour. And we get a lot of young people that come and get involved in the boxing sessions who don't necessarily want to change their behaviour. So they might be selling drugs, they might be robbing drug dealers, they might be involved with gangs, um, but they're not seeing the negative impact of it. So they're coming down, they're getting involved in the boxing sessions. We'll try and encourage them not to be involved in the negative lifestyle. We try and sort of push them to a point where they can see what's wrong with it. Sometimes we manage to do that, but more often than not, it takes something else. So it takes someone to get killed, someone to go to prison for a very long period of time, uh, for them to get a child pregnant, for a good friend of theirs to go to prison for a long time, for them to go to court, to go to the police station, to go to prison. All these things are called sort of teachable moments. That's the time when they're contemplating and thinking, actually, maybe this is the greatest life. And so they will then move from the pre-contemplation stage to the contemplation stage. And that's where we step up the one-to-one -one work that we do with them. And we then work with them by putting an action plan in place to try and uh, maintain that action plan. And more often than not, they relapse and go back to the beginning and we start again. And they quite often have to go through that stage quite a few times. So what we see happens quite a lot is people will come and get involved with the boxing. They might come and get involved with the youth club and they'll find out about us build a bit of a relationship they might drop out they might get themselves in a bit more trouble but when they want to make it when they want to make a change they'll then contact us and say look i need some support i need some help and that's when we step up the intensive work with them mm -hmm. so it, they need to be at a point when they want to change to get that intensive support and like i say more often than not it's self-referrals that will come and get involved with that and as to us having a good reputation it's through 
us having worked with friends of theirs before and it's also through the fact that we've employed quite a lot of our ex-participants that have come up through the program so the ones that the younger ones would have looked up to and seen as being like the ones who can give them advice probably initially around crime and how to make money are now doing something positive and are giving them advice around how to change their life for the better. So like I say, we use the cycle of change and we focus on the teachable moments, but we get people coming from everywhere and anywhere. And we, we've got a real open door policy, so we don't turn anyone away. So whilst we target 11 to 30 year olds from Wandsworth, the, I think the youngest we've worked with is seven and the eldest is 84. And we get people coming from all over all over London that will come down and engage with us so the, the vast majority are from Wandsworth but we do get people from all over and we don't whilst we initially set up really with a key focus on um, young offenders it's we're, we're not just working with young offenders we're working with people for, from all different backgrounds some of the people come will have disabilities some might have mental health issues special education needs growing up in poverty whatever we'll, we'll still provide a service and find a way of working with them so yes as you said the goal is to keep as many kids off the streets and give them family support all the time but i was wondering because obviously you mentioned the key work the mentoring is there a reason why to pair that with boxing have you seen benefits of you know, boxing rather than football, for example? So, I mean, we the, the the truth is with a lot of the ones that we key work, they might not even get involved in the boxing at all. So mm-hmm. it's not necessarily that the two sort of go hand in hand. The main reason for me why we do the boxing is lots of people just assume that I'm a boxer and that's why we do it. I've, ne- I've never boxed before. That's, I'm not a boxer at all. My experience of boxing was walking into Fitzroy Lodge and seeing lots of much better youth work being done by volunteer boxing coaches than I was seeing being done in the youth clubs that I was working in. And I think boxing just has a real a real pull on young people. And I think it has a mass it, it provides so many positive things that, that can come out of it. So we purposely, when we set up, didn't affiliate with England boxing we didn't want to be a competitive boxing club because we wanted our aim to meet our core aim to be to engage young people using boxing not for us to create competitive boxers and the main reason for well lots of reasons for boxing firstly we live in a very sort of health and safety conscious world where especially for young boys it's very difficult to be able to show, demonstrate your your masculinity and your macho-ness in a positive and constructive way and boxing is a really positive and constructive way for them to do that. So, for example, if we've got a group of kids going out to steal mopeds and one of them says, oh, I can't, I've got a boxing session on, their friends aren't really going to take the mick out of them for going to a boxing session. Whereas if they were going to chess club, then their friends may make fun of them and say, oh, you're, you're a sellout. Whereas there's a certain element of respect that comes with the fact that people come, that people are getting involved in boxing also people that don't know about amateur boxing always look at boxing as being a very individual sport but it's not it's a it's a you you get a real group mentality in boxing so the people that train in the gym together as you know really start socializing with each other and it's it's a really good way of building community and providing opportunity for people to learn so what i saw when i first went into fitzroy lodge and you see this this isn't unique to carnies or fitzroy lodge this is what you see in all boxing gyms you go in and it's very intimidating and very scary to walk into a boxing gym. But 
generally the most intimidating and scary looking people in there will straight away come and put an arm around your shell. This is how you throw your left hand. This is how you hold your arms up. And there's a real sense of community within these boxing gyms. And I saw that and thought this is definitely something that we want to try and replicate and have down at Carney. It's also a brilliant way of teaching people how to control aggression. So lots of people, like when we moved into the new centre, we had lots of complaints from neighbours who were saying, well, you're attracting criminals to the area and teaching them how to fight. And we say, well, no, that's not the case. They, they know how to fight. What we're doing is we're teaching them the art of boxing, which teaches them that aggression is a, is a natural sort of feeling and emotion that people get. But the type, when, it's a, when it's a problem is when the aggression is in control of you rather than you being in control of the aggression. And what boxing teaches people is how to control their aggression properly, which is why you see in the boxing matches, and I'm not talking about professional boxing is a bit of a joke. It's, it, gets, it moves closer and closer towards things like American wrestling and things like that, where <laughs> you get people like David Hay and they're having a fight in a press conference. If you go to an amateur boxing show, the boxers would never be disrespectful to each other. They'd never be disrespectful to the referee or to their, their opponent's team. There's a real sense that there's a real honour code there. And we wanted to try and replicate that as well. And you, we've shown how we can use boxing to teach honour, discipline, and loads of other transferable skills that can be used in other areas of life. And we, we got that from Mick, really. Mick, I interviewed Mick. So he got, he got me onto the Board of Trustees for Fitzroy Lodge. And I interviewed him because I was trying to get some funding. So I had to get an interview from the club leader about why we should get this funding in. And in the interview, I said to him, so who, like, what, what do you see as your biggest successes? And knowing full well that he's had, I think, something like six world champions. He was actually David Hayes' first coach and coached him before that. Like, he was the one that got him into boxing and, and had him all of his amateur career. Expecting him to say that those were his big successes, but he didn't. He said that the big successes were the ones that he'd helped to be the best they can be. And he said that it's not about getting people to be world champions. It's about getting people to realise what they're capable of. And the transferable skills around being structured, having routine, having discipline, being consistent. And he'd use the boxing quite a lot to assess whether people were ready to go into work. And if he felt that they were showing that they were reliable, consistent, structured, disciplined, then he'd link him in with a friend of his who could take him on as an electrician or get him to do the knowledge and become a cab driver or get him working in the print. And he had loads of connections there. And we do the same thing. We see all the really positive transferable skills that come from boxing. And we have we, we do that in different ways so that they can then demonstrate it out in the community. And we've got, it would be a lie for me to say we never have any issues with aggression in carnies because we do we work with we work with young people who are very aggressive and generally the people that we have problems with aggression are the people that come to the youth club and don't engage in the boxing mm -hmm. so we try and get them especially involved in the boxing so that they don't they they can learn about how to control their aggression and control their emotions and we have we, we do that in different ways so if, if anyone shows any sort of physical contact in the youth club or in our mentoring sessions that's inappropriate then we don't want to kick them out and we don't want to ban them. So we have to find a different way of punishing them. So what we do is they have to do five minutes in the gym. And so they get put with a coach and they have to do five minutes of just being absolutely beasted in the gym. And we do it for two reasons. One reason is because firstly, it shows them that they can do it because most of them are too scared, especially the people who are involved in youth violence 
they're way too scared to get involved in boxing and you know, you know they're too scared but generally would either say oh i can't control my temper you wouldn't like to see me when i'm angry or i'm more of a street fighter those two like you translate both of those phrases as i'm too scared to come in and do boxing i don't want to show myself up and so it shows them that they are able to do it and it also gets rid of some of that energy that they've got because a lot of the kids that we work with who get aggressive it's because they've got no sort of outlet in order to to get rid of any of that aggression and that's what we that's what we're trying to push through with the boxing and I mean, it's, I'm really glad that in the last few years, people have really started to recognise that. And we've got so many schools that we work with now, schools, people refer units, where we provide the boxing. And we've had so much positive feedback about how much of a difference it's made. And I've got one example of someone that we worked with, which is a really good example, actually. He came to us at the age of 12. The council basically had the whole family as an away day because they were causing so many issues for the for the council and costing the, the council so much through all the crime they were committing and this young man at 12 he was on an asbo he'd seen his dad been tied up with a shotgun put in his mouth uh, he not couldn't read or write hadn't been in education for two years last time he was in education broke his teacher's hand and we started working with him and he was obsessed we got him into boxing and he loved it and he was obsessed with it and he then wanted to go on and compete but we said to him, if you want to compete, you have to compete in the schoolboy championships. To do that, you have to be a schoolboy and you're not at school, so you can't do it. So we got him into school and he became a schoolboy so that he could then go on and do the boxing. We taught him very early that he wasn't allowed to use any of the stuff he was learning in boxing out in the streets and he wasn't to get in any fights. So we'd regularly check his knuckles when he'd come into training to make sure he's not getting any problems. And I remember getting a phone call from his school saying, oh, we've, we've had to send him home. And I was like, oh, why? He's, he's been doing really well. What's he done? It's like, oh, well, he came to us and he told us another lad that was picking on someone he'd had an argument with and the lad wanted to fight him. And he came to us saying, if I fight him, I'm not going to be able to box next week and I've got a boxing match on. So rather than me having to wait around and him catching up with me and us getting into a fight, like, can I go home early? to stay away from it and they said yeah that's a brilliant idea of course you can and and sent him home yeah. so sent home because he was trying to avoid a negative situation so that's a prime example of how the boxing it, it, it also gives it gives confidence as well whereas he was getting in fights before because he had no confidence and no self-esteem and had to prove himself whereas when he becomes an accomplished boxer and knows he can handle himself he doesn't need to prove himself to anyone because he's feeling confident about himself. So if people give him trouble, he's able to walk away without the feeling of, oh, I'm losing face. He's walking away because he's like, I'm walking away because I can, because I know that I've got better opportunities out there than me getting in trouble with the police for getting in fights with people. So the boxing's had a, had a massive impact there. And that that's a real big reason why we focus on it and i mean there's it's not boxing not the only sport you can do there are loads of other sports which are brilliant you've got things like rugby as well which is quite similar because there's a lot of physical contact in that but i just think boxing's there's something about boxing that that is attractive to people and boxing also is you can be at so many different levels but still train with people who aren't on the same level as you so you might have one person who can do one press up another person who can do 100 but they can be training alongside each other and it gives that that whole family atmosphere there. And then it's also led to us being able to set up the social enterprise where we then progress people and give them employment opportunities through boxing. And I just think sport's really important anyway for mental health and obviously physical health. 
So we wanted to always make sure we had a, a sports element there. Wow, very interesting. And so how many people are dealing with the key work and mentoring? Like how many people are behind all of this, helping the kids? So with regards to staff, we've got 21 members of staff and about 12 of those are mentors. And out of those mentors, there's only five who do key work. The generic mentoring is done within a session. So it'll be done in a youth club, it'll be done in a boxing session, it'll be done in a bike workshops. And we provide a mentor to go with someone who wouldn't normally be able to get involved in group activities, whether it's because of a disability, because of mental health or because of behaviour. And so we'll provide them with a mentor to support them, get them involved. And then once they're properly ingrained within the session, we can take the mentor away and someone else can make use of that. The key work where we do, which is much more out in the community, doing the home visits, taking them to court, going to school meetings, going to meetings with social services. We've only got a small group that do that because you have to be at a certain level, I think, to be able to do that. And you have to be able to demonstrate that you can you can get to that level. And also, we've got to be very aware that a lot of the guys we employ are ex-offenders that have come up through the programme. And we've worked really hard about taking them away from their chaotic lifestyles that they were living before. And if we were to throw them back into those lifestyles, even though it's a young person they're working with, we're potentially putting them at risk of either reliving some of the trauma that they've had in the past or them slipping back to their old ways, which we don't want to do. So um, we do have some of the ex-participants doing key work, but they have to go through quite sort of stringent tests before we'll allow them to do the to do the key work. And then with the amount of people that we're, we're key working and mentoring, we normally do mentoring the session-based mentoring with between probably about 200 people each year will get the session-based mentoring and then the key work will be between 50 to 100 that will get the that will get key work support and in general like last year we worked with i think it's about 850 people in total so yeah. we've got large numbers about 60 60 just over 60 of those are people from a disadvantaged background And then the other sort of 40, 35 to 40% are mainstream people who will just come down to use the gym because they want to train and who just come and get involved in the youth club maybe. The reason we've got it where we have mainstream people come along as well is because we want the disadvantaged people to be able to network and associate with people from different backgrounds. We think a real important role of ours is to try and help facilitate social mobility so people moving up in social classes and getting opportunities they wouldn't necessarily have because they don't have those networks so like we would say the, the young people we work like i went to i went to the all-party parliamentary group for employment of offenders about 10 years ago and weed employment agency were there and they said that between 70 to 90 of all jobs are hidden jobs so they're not advertised you get them because mm -hmm. you know someone who knows you the job now most of the kids that we're key working and mentoring they know someone who can give them a bit of weed to sell to get them to get a bit of an income or tell them where the securical van's going to be parked up when it's got loads of money in it but they don't necessarily have the people that can help them set up their own business or can get them a job in another local business or a city firm. And so we wanted to try and create opportunities for that to happen. So rather than just having, right, you're a young offender, so you're only allowed to associate with other young offenders. It's right, you're a young offender, but you're coming and getting involved with um, sessions that involve other young offenders, other mainstream people, other quite high class people, 
and you're not being judged as being different because you're an offender when you're in the gym and when you're with us everyone's treated as exactly the same mix with people get to know them get to see what they're about and it works in the other way as well i mean it's like i said we had problems with neighbors when we first moved in with them saying thinking that we're we're attracting criminals to the area and teaching them to fight so is we got them to come down we offered them free boxing sessions they come down some of our staff and some of our older participants would train them and then they'd come out of the gym into the chill out area where they'd then see case studies on the people that they'd just been training with and they'd be like well this this lad spent seven years in prison but he seems like a really nice guy he's like yeah he is just because he spent seven years in prison doesn't mean he's not and this guy's been shot three times for normal everyday years but he may not have had just because he's not had the same opportunities as you or potentially could have made some of the wrong choices at an early age that doesn't mean they're a bad person they're always going to be a bad person the people who we work with who are most successful are the people that have come through some very sort of adverse life-challenging moments also some of the people from the higher classes or who, who don't normally mix with people who are involved with the police and getting in trouble we want them to see that actually some of these people are probably have the potential to be some of the most successful members of society they just need an opportunity and a lot of them have got lots of transferable skills we've got lots of young people that know about supply and demand and they know how to manage a team <laughs> but the legal drug trade if we can get them to transfer that over to something different then that's brilliant and they, they've got like i say they've got a lot to offer a lot of them are natural born business people mm-hmm, very nice and so what would be your biggest wish for carnies Um, I mean, lots of people ask about whether we want to grow and get bigger, and we don't. Um, I think we want to we want to maintain the size. If anything, we want to try and increase the amount of support we're giving to the participants we're working with at the moment. Um, I would love other people from other areas to come and copy what we're doing. I think if we if you were to pick us up and put us in Camden or put us in Manchester or put us anywhere else, it would take us far longer to get the results. That we're getting here and that's because we're not embedded in that community we don't have that connection with the young offenders with the people that uh that with social services with the youth services we've got those connections because we're so embedded in the community here but it wouldn't take much for someone else from a similar situation as myself to go out and do that in their own local community so we'd love other people mm-hmm. to take that um and i suppose the biggest wish is for us to create more more things like good guys decorating more people that are carrying on the, the virtuous cycle for us the the dream is that we have sort of like a pyramid system where you've got mick carney at the top who's at the peak of the pyramid below him you've got me and mark below me and mark you've got the 21 members of staff we've got at the moment below them you've got the next lot who are coming up through volunteering so we want that by the end of it we've actually impact mix indirectly impacted on thousands millions of different people in order to achieve in order to help them achieve successes so it's it's for us to be able to demonstrate more and more examples of how people who've suffered adverse childhood experiences are able to move on and succeed so like when i gave the example of good guys decorating when we when we launched them the thing that really stood out to me was the amount of people that knew both of the lads when they were getting in trouble and they contacted us saying my god if they can do it because they were a nightmare, then I must be able to do it. So can you support us with getting into something? And so it's it's really inspirational for other people to see someone who's come from either the same background or an even worse background to them go on and achieve and make successes. 
And so, yeah, it's, success is increasing that virtuous cycle and the impact of that, and so in that uh, virtuous cycle on as many people as possible. Great. And so lastly, if there is a piece of advice that you would like to share today? I think the, the most important thing which we, we've kind of had from the very, very outset is not to judge people. Uh, not to judge people and focus on people's strengths. It's very easy and it's very natural for people to make judgments, judge a book by a cover, take a look at what someone's done and what behaviour they've displayed and make a judgment and put some kind of negative consequence in place. However, it's, it's about looking at if there's been negative behaviour, what's the cause of that negative behaviour? Why has that happened? I suppose an example being... I've got a young person who I had to explain to a potential employer the other day the fact that he's got a criminal record which has uh, possession of a bladed article on it. And most people would see that and think, oh, that's not good. Look at all the stabbings we've got coming down on. That shouldn't be what ha what's allowed to happen. He's a negative person. We don't want to employ him. However, when you look into it, what led up to him having the possession of a bladed arc, that he was his mum was regularly the victim of domestic abuse and so was he and mum's partner was attacking her and him and his brother got knives both got a knife each and they held it up to him whilst the other brother called the police and the police came and when the police came because they were holding the knives to them they got arrested as well and charged with that so you don't see that story when you hear oh he's got possession of a bladed article what you what you what most people see is that they think, oh, right, this is a young criminal who's made negative choices for for no reason like I've, I've chosen not to carry a knife and he's chosen to carry one so i'm going to make a judgment on him but actually all of these young people that we work with every every young person i've worked with who's ever been in trouble i can guarantee you they are not bad people and there's always a cause for their behavior you can always find something whether it's it could be down to the parenting it could be down to some form of trauma it could be down to some sort of special education need could be down to like most pretty much i think every single person i've worked with who has got a criminal record has been a victim of crime themselves as well and so it's seeing that these things have impacted on these people and they're products of their environment so rather than judging them we need to look at what's caused them to display this behavior and help provide things that will cause them to no longer display that behavior and challenge the things that do lead to that behavior so so the most important thing for me is is not judging people and just giving that out to people. I mean, and it's, it's difficult because even with us, when we get referrals, I'm kind of torn with some of our referrals because you want to know the information about the young person, but equally you don't want to form a judgment before you've met that young person. So you have to try and be really open-minded and recognise that when professionals are writing things down about young people, it's not always factual and it doesn't always tell the whole story as well. So it's being as open-minded as, as possible. And I think because you've obviously got an education focus as well a key thing for me is that we've got to have a system where we provide good education to every single person out there and at the moment I don't think we do and I think I know there's been a lot in the press around exclusions of young people and I agree that's one of the biggest problems we've got in society which is that we, we tend to find the people who most are in need of being included and we exclude those people and actually we should be doing the exact opposite they're the people we should be trying to find opportunities of making them feel included and a part of something and i also think an area where we let people down in education is i think we do there's there's not enough resources put into assessing people for special educational needs and i think mm -hmm. if you go into prisons and young offenders institutes you find loads of people who've got special education needs but just haven't been assessed and haven't been 
given the right course of action in order to to help treat that that special education needs so i think yeah not judging people and providing access to education and to assessments for special education needs would be and make a massive difference to, to our society wow amazing very inspiring thank you so much for your time today george um i will link everything we talked about today in the notes below and thank you so much for joining george thank you so much for listening feel free to share if you think it might be helpful to someone you know if you enjoyed this episode then please make sure to write a review if you're listening on apple podcast and subscribe if you haven't already that's it for me See you soon with the next episode and in the meantime, have a lovely day. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.